So today's sermon is going to be a little different. And uh, I'll qualify it as it might not be the best recorded sermon ever. So as people are listening at this point, they'll shut it off. But I had a sermon, and it was long. I mean, like, it would take me 90 minutes easy to get through it. Roy's looking at me like, what? <laughs> so I thought, I thought, I have an opportunity to make a choice here where, where I can either go long, or I can shorten it into two sermons, and we can dialogue a little bit through this sermon today. So I thought I'd ask you guys, you want to go long, or you want to shorten it down and dialogue it out a bit? Decisions, decisions. So I landed on long. We're going to be looking at Romans 10 today, and uh, sad Evelyn's not here. Because, you know, she just couldn't wait to get to Romans 10, and then she doesn't even show up for it. So we're going to look at a section from Romans 10, 1 to 10, verse 10. And we are going to see some beautiful truths in here. And we're going to break it over two weeks. So if you miss this week and come next week, it'll make no sense. And if you come this week and mix next week, it'll make no sense. And I figure if I do that, no one will get anything out of it. Amen? I'm kidding. Look at Romans 10. It says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, them being the Jews. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the word of the Lord. So what we have here is a transition from Romans 9 into 10 where we go from divine election to willful, diso willful disobedience. But I want to throw a question out to you. What does verse 9 mean? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if we get the answer right, we'll be saved. If we get the answer wrong, we can have an eternity in hell. So, so how, how do you know if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Can anyone here say Jesus is Lord? Yeah. Go ahead, let me hear everybody say that. Jesus, Jesus is, is Lord. Lord. So everyone is saved because you verbally said that, right? Yeah. I remember as a young believer, there were, uh, there's a verse in, in Corinthians. See, I lost my notes on me. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. And maybe you guys did this as a very young believer. You ever try this? You go, well, I just, Jesus is Lord. Oh, I said it. I must be saved. Anyone? I mean, let's be honest. You ever pull that one off? But then I read Matthew 7, 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then I read Luke, and I see demons all the time. You're like, what's the chair for? Well, it's because we're going to dialogue. I see demons all the time in Luke calling Jesus Lord. So, so what does this mean? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's kind of a hard question to answer, isn't it? Well, what about if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Does anyone here believe intellectually in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead? He's risen. Amen. So now that we affirmed his resurrection and we said he's the Lord, we're all good, right? Well, hold on. Doesn't the devil affirm the resurrection of Christ as being true? Well, what, what, what is the answer to verse 9? How do you know if you truly confess and believe in a saving way? It's going to take two weeks, folks, to get to the answer of this. So let's start in verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, who's them? The Jews, is that they may be saved. Watch this. How did the Jews treat Paul? I'll, I'll wait you out today. How did they treat Paul? I mean, they were, they were nice to him, right? They, they gave him gifts. Renee, I'm going to share this air with you. I can't take this. They... they, they stoned him, they, they flogged him, they, they tried to kill him in a million different ways. Why does he want them to be saved? If, if someone tried to harm you, brothers and sisters in Christ, would you want, would your first prayer be, oh Lord, I pray that, that you would save this person who's abused me. I pray you would save this person who stole from me. Lord, please save this, this person who has slandered my reputation. Or would you go, Lord, you say vengeance is yours. I pray you kick their teeth out. You know, that's in the Psalms. Read the Psalms closely, imprecatory Psalms. Well, why does Paul want them to be saved? Who said that? Who said that? They got the answer flat right. Back row, my back row Christians back there. Shout out for the back row Christians. Because Paul knew Romans 1, 2, and 3. He knew what a wretched, miserable person he was on his own. Amen? Paul knew Romans 3, 4, 5. He knew how people are saved. He knew Romans 6. He knew the struggle of 7. He knew the privilege of 8. He knew divine election of 9. Paul knew God well. Paul knew truth well. My friends, are there, I'll ask this question because I was forced to wrestle with it on my own. Are there any people whom by your actions evidence that you have a heart that will be quite content with them going to hell? My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I wonder if too often 
We don't know God as well as we ought in the joy of his gospel as we can and should, such that our heart's desire and action is not for God to save them. I'll I'll let you wrestle with that, because I had to wrestle with that all week. But then it says, that they may be what? That they may be what? It's safe, you can say it. Here's where it's going to get uncomfortable. Safe from what? See, next week will be better. Y'all should have gone away on Memorial Day. Learn your lesson. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Saved is a word we use so commonly, right? Anyone here been saved? All right? Put your, please, more hands. I need more hands. You've got to encourage the pastor, even if you have to lie. Just, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> saved. What does that mean? Saved from what? Separation from God. Wrath of God, I heard from back there. Eternal damnation, undying death, fiery torment in hell, falling into the hands of an angry God. This is scary stuff. We have been saved, but we use that word so often and so casually, I think we forget what it means. And I think in forgetting what it means, what's the title of my sermon today? Did I call it three steps? Step one This deals with how did the Jews miss the gospel. Romans 9 addresses, this isn't even hitting me, Renee, you should be be looking out for me. Romans 9 addressed the question of how the Jews rejected the gospel. And you remember the answer in Romans 9? Divine election. Sovereign choice. That not all Israel was chosen by God for salvation. And then Paul, who's just unpacked divine election, Interesting, Paul's praying for people to be saved after affirming divine election. You guys want to chew on that for a minute? Come to Sunday school. Paul has just said, God chooses who will be saved. And then he prays, Lord, I pray you would save them. That's a man who understood divine election properly in the gospel clearly. We'll talk about that in a little bit today. But now Paul gets to willful disobedience. And the reason the first step in the Jews rejecting the gospel was they did not know God. They did not know who God was. They did not know they had to be saved. They had a zeal for God, but not according to what? You guys see that in verse 2? They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now here's where we're going to really talk. So I need you to pay attention. Who knows who Uzzah is? Patty knows Uzzah. What what happened to Uzzah? Who was Uzzah, Patty? He touched the ark. Remember? They're like going in with the ark and the ark's tipping and and Uzzah runs up and he, he grabs the ark so it doesn't fall off and Uzzah got dead. Who killed Uzzah? Was that right? Remember Achan? Mm-hmm. What happened with Achan? He, he stole some stuff. Who got dead? A whole lot of Achan family got dead with Achan. Who killed him? God killed people. Well, you guys know the Passover story? Isn't that a great story? But who got dead? All the firstborn of Egypt got 
dead. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God. You ever lie to God? What happened to them? Hold up. Is that the God you know? This God who kills? This God who hates? This God who, who sends people to eternal torment and damnation and hell? Do you know this God? Or do you worship a different God? You, you, you can't see grace till you see holiness. You can't get the gospel till you get the wrath. You can't understand forgiveness till you get righteousness. And righteousness is next week, so hang in there for step two. But the Jews did not worship the God of Scripture. They worship God to me. What is God to me? You ever hear this? Well, I think that God is a God of fill it in. God to me. It's not bad to think. In fact, you should think, but you should think about truth. The Jews were zealous, but they were not zealous based on truth. You following me here? The Jews were zealous to worship God to me. They thought, sought to establish their own righteousness. They sought to worship God on their own terms. And as a result, they were separated from God. Because if you don't know who God is, your zeal for God will do you no good. Everybody with me? Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus came Full of truth. John 8, the truth sets us free. John 18, 37, Jesus bears witness to the truth. John 17, we are sanctified by the truth. My friends, the Jews rejected the gospel. Romans 1, remember that? Verse, what is it, 18 and 19? They chose to suppress the truth. Keep going and exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship the creature rather than the creator by willful disobedience. We live in a culture that worships God to me. We live in a culture that determines who God is based off what they want. My friends, the joy to be found in the gospel begins in understanding who God truly is. And he is a scary guy. He is a consuming fire. When Peter recognized Jesus, he didn't say, homeboy, high five. He said, away from me, Lord, I am an unclean man. Isaiah sees the Lord and he says, what? What's up, God? Is that what he said? No. Oh, my. He says, I am an unclean man. I have unclean lips. Remember in, in Judges, Samson's parents? We have seen the Lord's faith face. We shall die. We're all like, I want to see your face. Oof, careful when you sing that. Because you might not want to see God's face. Because if you see his face, you will die. The Jews, as we'll see next week, thought that God was less than who he was. And as a result, that they could work themselves into a right relationship with God. 
until you see the grandness and majesty and massiveness of God, the gospel becomes small. Until you understand the holiness and justice of God and his hatred, hatred to sin, forgiveness becomes small. Paul saw God clearly. Paul understood sin robustly. Paul rejoiced in grace magnificently such that he could pray for these people. Do you see this? Do you see the beauty of this? By willful disobedience, the Jews rejected God. Ready for zinger number two? See, if we could go 90 minutes, I, I would get through this, this low point and build up high. But Roy don't want to stay for 90 minutes. I used to live amongst a bunch of Orthodox Jews. You know what Orthodox Jews do on Friday night? They get home from work early Friday afternoon, and they get the house set up. You turn a burner on. You leave a couple lights on. You get everything positioned, because when sun comes down, there is no work. And they get up Saturday morning, Shabbat, and they go to synagogue. And you know how they get to synagogue? Dick and Harry. Dick and Harry. And Dick and Harry. And do you know, once you pass the age of three, do you know how you get to synagogue? Little Dick and little Harry. And these people, they dress up in their Shabbat clothes, and they put their prayer tassels on the men, and the kippah on the head, and they're all done up to go to synagogue, and they walk, hot, cold, rain, snow, sleet, freezing rain, wind, they walk to synagogue, and they walk back, and they walk to synagogue, and walk back at night to close out Shabbat every single week. They don't go away on Memorial Day either. They keep going to Shabbat service. Why so zealous? Why, why do they, the Jews, have this zeal for God and then we, the Christian people, you know what we do on Shabbat? First, we're like, well, technically, Pastor, I ain't researches too much, but I don't think we have to keep the Sabbath. I think I read that somewhere in the Bible, and I'm good with that. God, to me, is a God who says you don't have to keep the Sabbath. We can talk about that. There, there, there's a great discussion to be had, but there should be a discussion had about what it looks like to keep the Lord's Sabbath. Not, not to be right with God, but to enjoy God. Now, here's a pivot. My friends, my brothers and sisters, pre-Christ, as a Jew, right? They were the ones who had zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They were in synagogue all day with their people, all day sitting home. And I'll be honest, it's not a lot of fun. A Jewish Sabbath is not fun. It's like this. I mean, you can't even turn on the TV. And there are these conversations. Well, Dad, the Yankees are on. Okay, we'll get the score after the sun goes down. But Dad. But the, could we leave the TV on all day and watch the game? No, we can't do that. Why? The rabbis say you cannot do that. Oh. There is sinful zeal. Sinful zeal is done to earn God's favor. There's sinful lack of zeal that is based on I don't need to earn God's favor. It's Shabbat. Who cares? God's a God of love. 
Then there's godly zeal. Romans 12. Let's see if I'm right here. Is it 11? No, we're not jumping ahead to 11. We'll come back. If I'm not right, just ignore the reference. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We as Christians are called to be zealous people. But the Jews were zealous, but not according to knowledge of truth. In fact, do you know why Isaiah says that the Israelites went into captivity? For lack of knowledge. Do you know what Paul calls himself as a Jew in 2 Timothy? Ignorant, ignorant of the truth. My friends, the Jews were in a position of extreme privilege as those who had been trusted, entrusted with the oracles of God. Remember that earlier on in Romans? And they neglected the truth of God. They suppressed the truth of God. They created a God to me. And because of that, they would perish unless they repented and believed. Step one to how the Jews rejected the gospel is willful disobedience beginning in not knowing who God was. Now, I love how Paul does his pivot. He goes from they rejected the gospel, because that's what God decreed would happen. We were five weeks in Romans 9. We beat that horse to death. And the horse almost tried to get up, so we stomped him out one last week. We drove home this beautiful doctrine of stomped out horse death. No, this beautiful doctrine of divine election. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. John 15, John 6, right? There would be no one saved if God did not elect or select people to be saved, you, you, can, you can dislike that, but if you want to lose that doctrine, you've got to create a God to me. But then Paul so beautifully rounds this off, and this is what our time downstairs will be today, talking about this as it applies to evangelism. It's going to be a, a fun discussion, a very pertinent and applicable one. But then he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. Lord, Lord, you are a God of election and selection, and I pray that you might select these people to salvation. Don't, don't you love the way he rounds that out? The Jews neglected, I'm sorry, the Jews rejected the gospel in part because they were not elect, and in equal measure because they suppressed the truth by willful disobedience. And the beginning of this is that they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. My friends, here's something I have wrestled with my entire life as a believer. Is all those Jews I grew up as and with who had an incredible zeal for God. And then I came over here into the household of God. And not here. I tell you what, as a church, guys, I want to encourage you. And There, there is a zeal in this church that is abnormal. Can there be more zeal? Absolutely. But there's a zeal that's abnormal. We can praise God for that. But I come over in the church by and large, and Jesus is like a little stinking trinket who you serve when you want, but you tell him what you want all the time. And as long as he gives you what you want, you might give him some of what he wants, maybe. And we take his commandments, and we edit them down, and we create a little God to me. The problem over here in the household of God is we don't know God that well either. The better we, God is a, he ain't your grandpa, he ain't your homeboy, he ain't a cool dude. He's God. 
Yahweh, the Lion of Judah, the Great I Am, the Consuming Fire, who kills people. Drop dead. There's someone else he killed I was thinking about. Achan, Uzzah, Ananias. Remember the, the prophet, the bald prophet, I'm pointing to Quran, right? And there were these young men mocking the bald prophet. And do you remember what happened to the young men mocking the bald prophet? God sent bears to kill him. Why? Read Leviticus. God's scary. God kills people. But there was this other guy, Joshua. Remember when God killed Joshua? You know him better as Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The world stands condemned. And God poured out his wrath upon the Christ so that we who trust in him would not have to face that wrath, but we would have peace with God. Do you you understand the magnificence of this? It is impossible to look down on someone or to wish someone harm or ill will when you understand the grace you have received in Christ. But we too often have a cheap grace because we have a cheap replica of God. And the cry from this text is, Have a zeal for God, but have a zeal for God based on a knowledge of the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I wonder if Jesus came through the door, if we'd recognize him. Yeah, the American church, one of the things I've been dealing with recently, not in-house, but in a larger scale in a lot of conversations, permeates with a lot of nationalistic pride and racism. When you find out Jesus ain't a white dude from America, you might have a little problem. (laughs) Just saying. Jesus doesn't take votes, representative democracy people. Guys, I was thinking of returning. Is there a date that works for you all? (laughs) No, Jesus just does what he wants. He decrees. Jesus is a mighty God. Jesus is Lord of all creation. By him and through him and for him have all things been made. And Paul knew not only who God was, but he knew who he was before God, how he was saved by God, and for what he was saved to God. Do you understand that? The Israelites had no clue because they rejected the truth of God and suppressed the truth of God to worship a God to me. The whole world worships a God, lowercase g. The question is, what God are you worshiping? Some worship the God of consumerism. Some worship the God of, of, of physical appearance. There's a better word for that. Some worship the God of relationships. Some worship the God of zeal, but not the God of zeal based on truth. God did not come to give you a list of rules to be right with him. He came to give you a list of rules to show you you can't keep them. I'm creeping into next week's sermon, so i got to back up a little bit. The Ten Commandments 
are, I'm sorry, do we call them the Ten Commandments or the Ten Suggestions? You sure? So you kind of got to do it. Well, what happens if you don't obey God? What do we call that if you don't obey God? And it's not just about the outward action, is it? It's about the heart. So when it says no one is righteous, no, not one, in Romans 3, it really means no one is righteous, no, not one. And what's the wages of sin or unrighteousness? Like you just die at the end and get buried in the ground and everyone goes, he's in a better place. That death? No. The one where you die at the end and your body gets buried in the ground, but you're not in a better place apart from Christ, huh? I have secured for me for all of eternity by Christ an eternity in paradise with him. Amen? I have secured for me in the power of Christ and for the glory of Christ a resurrection body promised to me. Amen. I have fullness of life promised to me, secured for me by the power of Christ, all ahead for eternity on. Amen. I live in a world where, where, where there is an opportunity by a conquering king to go out into the world and declare who he is so that people might turn to him and be saved. I have an opportunity to walk into the Areopagus, if you will, of Acts 17, and say to a world, I see you are a very religious people. I see you worship all sorts of gods. Might I tell you who the one true God is so you might be saved? Do you understand why we live where we live as children of God? Because the world is perishing, step one, because they don't know who God is. Well, how are they going to know who he is? Huh. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that don't mean someone standing up here doing what I'm doing. Oh, we're a week or two away from 1014 and following. But my friends, there are people in hell. And there are people in hell because they have chosen to willfully disobey God, to willfully suppress the truth, and to willfully worship an idol. Well, what do we get to do? We get to proclaim the reality of the risen Christ. But how do we do this well? Here, we'll pick it up now. Everybody beating down good? Everybody feel good beating for Sunday? That's my job. Beat you up. Send you back out there bruised. It actually is Memorial Day, isn't it? What what is, you know, now you took me off track. I'll be careful here. Anyone know what Memorial Day is? Isn't it the day when we celebrate soldiers? Mm. Veterans Day, you can celebrate them. What's Memorial Day? Thank you. Honor those who have died to defend the country. Amen? And that is an honorable thing to do. In fact, it says, greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friend. But Memorial Day really isn't supposed to be about men and women who've laid down their life in service to the country. 
No. The midweek thought this week was how Sunday is Thanksgiving, right? Well, Sunday is also Memorial Day, right? It's a day we celebrate the man who died in battle in the Great War to save his friends. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. Amen? Here's the beauty, guys. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. On our own merits, we continue to fall short of the glory of God. In fact, we are quite pathetic representations of the children of God saved by grace through faith. But our salvation does not rest in how well we live. It rests in how well Christ lived on our behalf. Amen? And what the Jews need is the same thing you and I need day by day by day is to hear the gospel again. That by the work of Christ alone, God is well pleased with us. That Christ himself took all of our sins, past, present, and future, from us upon himself and put his righteousness upon us. And he doesn't loan us the righteous garments. He gives them to us permanently by grace through faith. You can't lose them once you got them. Remember Romans 8? If you have truly confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. And there's nothing you can do to lose your salvation once you have it. Now, there are lots of people who think they're saved but really aren't. In fact, I would contend there's a large number of people who are saved but don't know they are. The difference is cheap grace over here and legalism over here. Cheap grace is like, oh, you, you said out loud Jesus is Lord? You're saved. That's a cheap grace. Legalism over here, well, you say Jesus is Lord. But I think I saw you sin. Mm-hmm. How can I know if you're saved? I'm looking down, not right at Renee. How can I know that you're saved if you sinned? Hmm. You, better, you better check your Bible and read up quick and see if you got the gospel. Cheap grace, legalism. Where's the balance? Right here. It's not cheap grace. Read James. If you're saved, your works will evidence your salvation, right? You'll know a tree by its fruit. But if you're truly saved, you still know Romans 7. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Well, well, if you're sinning, how do you know you're saved? There's some evidence of how you know you're saved. You're disgusted by sin. You're you're growing in maturity. You're following Christ more clearly. You have a, a love for God based on truth. You say, I do sin, but Christ has forgiven me and caused me to be born anew. Now we'll dig into this next week. I'm going to pause it out here pretty quick before I get too far into this. But my friends, what the Jews needed was to hear the gospel. What we need is to hear the gospel. Any, anyone here ever at any time in the history of their life used to work out? <laughs> anyone ever like in really good shape working out? Right? No, man, bad church. Well, well, back in the day, pre-kids, I used to go to the gym like six days a week. And I would take, I'd be there a good two hours, and I, I'd have my, my carb drink on the front end, my protein drink on the back end. I would lift it in a structured, systematic way, working contrary muscle groups in a certain pattern. And, and I felt pretty good about myself. Then we had kids, and it's like, really? The gym? Nah, not today. But you see, In order to succeed in athletics of anything, you have to have a plan for how you do this. 
And what we're going to see, and we'll start with it today, is the first step in spiritual strength is truth. And how do we know truth? This is truth. And as long as we are feasting on truth and meditating on truth and praying the truth and sharing and talking about the truth with one another, we're positioned to grow well spiritually. Proteins, carbs, you mix them together, you get muscular development. Truth and the Holy Spirit, you mix them together, you get spiritual development. In fact, side note, in about two weeks, we're going to start a new Sunday school series, and it's going to deal with, in fact, this very thing about how one grows as a Christian. The Jews had all sorts of scripture, but they distorted it, elevated rabbinic teaching over it, and they had no opportunity to know the God of truth. Amen? We need to hear the gospel. We need to pray the truth of scripture. We need to walk in fellowship with one another. And we need to steward all that God entrusts to us for his glory. Mm, See, I'm trying to pull it back. I want to go a little further here. But Roy's looking at me like he's going to stab me if I try to do this. We'll stop it here. Wait with bated breath. Three steps in how the Jews rejected the gospel. I'm not doing two and three. The first step is they didn't know God. You know what happens when you don't know God? Step two, you don't know the righteousness of God. You know what happens when you don't know the righteousness of God? Step three, you reject the provision of God. So here's the thing, and here's a challenge for this week. How well do you all know God? Where in your life, I want you to reflect on this during this week. Where in your life are you worshiping God to me? What does that look like? Anywhere in your life you have fear is because you're worshiping God to me. Anything you think you need in life other than Jesus to have true joy is because you're worshiping God to me. Any time, well, I'll let you guys wrestle it through. But I want you to think about that. Where in your life are you worshiping God to me? And as a child of God, listen closely to this. As a child of God, you worship myriad idols. Did you hear me clearly there? Every single one of us here who is saved by grace through faith worships idols. The evidence of being saved is that we begin to identify, detest, and destroy our idols by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 8. So for this week, let's look at what the Jews did wrong. They had a zeal, but not a zeal according to truth. Where do we have a zeal not according to truth, or a lack of zeal not according to truth, because we're worshiping God to me? Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would show us those idols in our lives and empower us to destroy those idols for his glory. Because as we do, we get a glimpse of two things far more clearly. The holiness of God. Do do you know how holy God is? Three times. Holy, holy, holy. Right, Isaiah 6. Why does he say it three times? It's the most emphatic statement you can make in the Hebrew context. I I think too often I can relate to the rich young ruler in, in Matthew. Lord, I kept all those commandments. What else I got to do? I want to relate to to the truth of the Ten Commandments. I kept none of them. Never perfectly from a pure heart, apart from Christ. And that Christ part, huh? Once you see the holiness of God, now you see the provision of God. 
Now you see the grace of God. Now you start to walk with the God of truth and grace. Amen? Why, you ask, would the Jewish people want to reject the God of truth? That's Romans 1. God gave us up his wrath of abandonment. That's the necessity of divine election. That that we are born bent, right? That you look at those little babies when they're born and you're like, oh, they're so cute and sweet and innocent. They may be cute, they may be sweet, but they ain't innocent. I've gotten into more arguments with Christian folks over that comment than I can count. You you see, so then I got some chiming up cute, sweet thing back there, knowing they're not innocent, right? Do you have to train your child to be bad? Anyone here have to intentionally train their child to smack their sibling? Listen, you're too sweet, honey. I want you to disobey me. Kids disobey by nature, right? That's how we're all bent by birth is to disobey God. And I've used this line before is, there are no straight people except Jesus. And God came to straighten the crooked. He came to make us straight. And we are positionally perfect. We're positionally straight before God, but practically bent, Romans 7. And we straighten little by little, month by month, year by year, for the glory of God. And that's what, that's what we're looking for. The Jews, they thought they'd straighten themselves out. You can't straighten yourself out. You're permanently bent crooked. And until you understand the reality of who God is, you can understand the righteousness of this God who is. And you'll never understand the provision that God's given us in Christ. Step two and step three next week. I appreciate your patience for next week so Roy didn't have to stay till 2.30 so I could finish the rest of it. But my friends, look at this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Chew on that word for a minute, saved. Think about everyone you know apart from Christ needs to be saved before they fall into the hands of an angry God. How will they be saved? Through God choosing people to himself, drawing people to himself. How does he draw them? Through the preaching of his word. So what do we do? We pray, we preach, and we live like we love Jesus. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant, this is next week, of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. What does that mean in in common English? These are people who say, well, if you try your best and work really, really hard, God will forgive you and accept you. Paul says, nope. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And I'll let you guys do the legwork of reading here, but look up verse 5 and and the cross-reference in in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, That is the word of faith that we proclaim because, and here's a question we started with, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So how do you know if you've truly confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? How do you truly know if you've believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that you can be certain you're saved? You see, you've got to come back for the answer. But the first step on the way to the answer is, do you know God based on truth? Or do you know God to me? Do you understand the reality of this God who is? Which will be evidenced by your understanding of the righteousness of God and the provision of God. And when you get those things down, you can have, listen to me here and I'll close on this. You can have absolute certainty that you are a child of God secure for all of eternity. When you have step one, step two, and step three down, God gives us a gift of assurance of salvation. How wonderful that you can go from a, from a young believer who's going, Jesus is Lord, Jesus, and you think I'm joking, I'm not. I remember sitting home by myself reading that in 1 Corinthians and going out loud, Jesus is Lord. I did it, so that must mean I'm saved. You can grow to the point of you understand even that is workspace righteousness. The gospel is so much greater. Would you come back next week and let me finish this thing for us all? I pray so. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that your word is truth. Lord Jesus, please help us to see you clearly. Lord, help us to understand Help us to understand your magnificence, your majesty, your holiness, your righteousness. Lord, help us to, to see ourselves clearly for who we were apart from you so we might accurately see who we are in you. Lord, the magnificence of the privilege to be able to call you friend, to have absolute certainty that I am a son of God, a child of God, an inheritor, a co-regent with Christ, we were brought from the pit of despair to heights beyond comprehension. Lord, help us to see the magnificence of grace. Help us to see the joy that comes in living our lives for your glory as we were made to live. Help us to understand what it means to love one another, to serve people. Help us to have a, a view of the lost as you do, Lord Jesus. A God who came to die for lost people. Lord, I pray that we who were saved by you to live might live for your glory and love lost people as well. Lord, please give us a heart like Paul, that even when people hate us and despise us and want to crush us and kill us, we might still cry out to you, Lord, Lord, like Stephen, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Lord, help us to, to see grace like these men, these ordinary men who were made extraordinary, not by their own ability or merit, but by your power, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, work in our lives, transform our lives so for your glory we might see you as they saw. Lord, help us this week to identify in our lives where we're worshiping any idols. Lord, expose to us, please, through, through your word and even through conversations with brothers and sisters about your word and in our Bible studies in your word, Lord. 
Help us to see where, where we have made you into something other than you are so we might worship you in spirit and truth as who you truly are. And Lord, we join Paul in praying for the Jews that you might save them. And we join Paul in praying for lost Gentiles that you might save them. And I pray, Lord, that we would join in Paul's example in being living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Lord, I pray that we would leave here encouraged today. Encouraged in the fact that on our own, not only are we not good enough, we're not even close. But by grace through faith, we are made perfect before you. We have peace with you. We have God for us. Jesus, we, we love you because you first loved us. I pray, Lord, that we may live lives worthy of the upward calling we have in you, Christ Jesus, and that we might glorify you and have the joy you intend for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.